So our reading is from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. And our focus today is verses 12 through 16. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. Last week we looked at the put off the old clothes. Today we look on look at putting on the new clothes, putting on Christ. What does that mean? How does that apply to us today? So Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, we'll just review by reading from last week, and then uh, up to verse 17. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. These are our focus today. Verse 12. And therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So 12 through 16. So I'm going to ask the boys and girls something first. What's the first thing mom says to you when she sees you with dirty clothes. Take them off, right? Take them off. And then what? Put on clean clothes. Put on new, you could say new clothes. Clean clothes. Here too, you know, as believers in Christ, what happened? We have died with Christ. We arose again with him. That means two things. We have to put off the old clothes of sin, the dirtiness, the dirty clothes, and put on the new clothes. That's what we're focusing on today. How can we do that? Well, we just sang earlier in Psalm 91, right? Where who defeated Satan? Who crushed his head? Christ did. And if we believe that, 
that means we also have, have his power to put to death those sins in our lives. It's a lifetime struggle, but by his spirit, we have the strength to put those things to death. Fornication, anger, wrath, right? Uncleanness, anger, all those things that were mentioned in the first five verses of our reading, five through 11. But in his place, Christ says, I don't just only forgive you of your sins, and I don't only tell you to stop that, but also give you something. I give you the strength to put on something new. I've given you new clothes. And so our focus here this morning is in verses 12 through 16, and the calling here is to put on Christ. Wear Jesus. Wear Christ. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, that should become clear in light of our uh, verses this morning. But in light of verses 12 through 16, in the light of the command to put on Christ, to put on Christ, we see two things. First thing is, notice your special position in Christ. That's what we've got to see first of all, your glorious position in Christ. And then second, we're going to see the provision in Christ. Right? He provides Right? Your position in Christ, you see it in verse 12, the first half, and the rest you see is provision. Let's go to verse 12, the first part. You know, there's something about us that loves to be special. That's part of human nature, right? We love having people take notice of us. Everybody does. We love to be included. I mean, to be considered valuable, to be loved. But now take note. Look at what verse 12 says. Look what, what God says about these ordinary believers, these ordinary believers in Christ, what he says about them to the church in Colossae. He calls them the elect of God, holy and loved by him. Paul wants to communicate the assurance of that, that this is really true, this is the way it is, you know, by nature. And, and, and they need to be reminded by that because you think about who we once were. Scripture says, by nature, we're not lovable. We're the exact opposite. We're unlovable, ugly in our sin, right? The Bible describes us as uh, being by nature enemies of God. Romans 5 verse 10 describes us as enemies of God by nature. Not only that, but think about the fact that we are not born holy. We're born unholy, unrighteous. Romans 3 verse 10, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Well, that's a blanket statement. It sure is, but it's the truth. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And then, of course, you know, you think about it, you reflect on it. No one is worthy to be chosen by God. Not a single person is worthy to be chosen. We are all unworthy to be chosen as God's children. There's nothing attractive. We put it this way. There's nothing attractive in us that God would say, hmm, I like that person. I think I'll choose him to salvation. Or I think I'll choose her to salvation. No. No. 
It's all of God's grace. It's his choice. And the reason for his choice is his own good pleasure. It has nothing to do with what he sees in us. It has everything to do with his own good pleasure. Whom he chooses, he will have mercy upon whom he has mercy. And he will bypass those whom he bypasses. Right? Scripture is so clear on that. This is who you are, says Paul to the Colossians. Elect of God, holy, and loved by him. Let's look at those just briefly. Chosen, chosen of God. You know, think of it this way. God took special notice of you in Christ. He included you. He worked in you by his grace. He worked in you to, by his grace to choose him, right? You didn't choose him. But he chose you, and he worked by his spirit, he worked by his grace in your heart to choose him. Right? So it's in Christ that you receive all these benefits, forgiveness and salvation and renewal by the spirit. You know, no one has ever become a Christian solely by his or own, her own choice. That's just not possible. People can fake it, but... It's all a gift of God's grace. We can, be, we can choose to be a member of any other religion, but that's not the way Christianity is. No one ever chooses to become a Christian solely by his own choice. You know, and that's very troubling to see that some Christians react very badly to this teaching. Okay, they find it, they find that, oh, that's cold, that's heartless. That it's only by God's choice that we belong to him. And yet, you know, without God's sovereignty, having chosen a people for himself, if God didn't work this way, if he wasn't the one who made the choice, would anyone ever choose him? Not a single person would ever choose him. Why not? Because our hearts and our, are in the, we're born in bondage, in bondage to Satan in bondage to sin, and there's no way we can free ourselves from it. There's no way of, of, of our own will, of our own free will, that we can ever come to Christ. <laughs> so praise God that he's the only one who breaks it. And he breaks it in those whom he has chosen to give to Christ so that they will believe and receive forgiveness in Christ. Being a Christian doesn't depend on our being good. It depends on God's grace. Being a Christian does not depend on our lovableness, but on God's love. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says it this way. God chose us in Jesus when before the world was made. For what purpose? So that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Not because we were holy, not because we were good, but so that we could serve him. What's the reason for his electing us? His love. That's what he calls the Colossians. He says, my beloved, you're my loved ones. To be chosen of God is to be loved by God himself. And finally, you are holy. Holy here doesn't mean to be without sin. But holiness means to be, you're now set apart from the world to serve God in this world. 
is set apart from the world for God in service to him with your whole life. That's what it means to be elect, the elect of God. That's your special, special position in Christ. Paul says to the Colossians, elect of God, holy, beloved. Why is that? This is because you are in him. What is scripture called Christ? Why is it that you're chosen, holy, and beloved? Like the holy, holy, holy. Right? It's because Christ himself, you know, the Bible in different places talks about Christ himself being the chosen one by God. He's the holy one. He's the one who is most specially loved by the Father. And it's in him we receive that position. Through faith in him, we receive that position. You're seen with that special title. God sees you in Christ as his elect, holy, and beloved. And, you know, not only the church in Colossians needs to be reminded of that, we need to be reminded of that and comforted by that. Why? Because there's two reasons. First of all, there's teachers. There's false teachers, even those who call themselves Christians, who think that they are better than you are. They say, oh, we have the full gospel, <laughs> right? We, we have this and this and this. We follow these rules. You don't have them, right? And so they kind of look down on you because you're so ordinary. Paul was reminding the Colossians of that too. There were those teachers who said, we're following all these rules. We have all these things. You don't have those things. So we're more special. Paul says, No. Paul doesn't even talk about them being elect holy. Those people who pretend they're holy, he doesn't even talk about them. He says to you, he says to the ordinary believers, this is who you are. So we need to be reminded of that and comforted by that. Don't compare yourself to others who think that they look down on you and think, well, that's all you are. No, look at how God sees you. And the second thing is, we need to be comforted by this because we look at ourselves, what do you see? You see so many sins, right? So many temptations. You look at your heart, and even to know that God knows your heart better than you know your own heart. Our sins are many. We see our own weaknesses of our faith. We look within. What happens? We begin to doubt. We begin to say, can God really love me? But we should not look within, but we should look outside. We should look to Christ, to whom, where do we find our election? In him. Where do we find our holiness? In him. And we find our love of the Father in him. Think about what Paul said early in, in Colossians 3, verse 3. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. Sorry, with Christ in God. So yeah, Paul reminds them that they are the elect of God, holy in his sight, the object of his special love. And that should be incentive enough for us to, to put off the dirty clothes, the old, the old man. That should be an incentive then to put on the new man, the new Adam, Christ. And that leads us to the second point, the provision. Okay, we see our position in Christ, but now look at the provision of Christ for you. Verses 12b through 17. 
or 16. What do you see? We see two things here. A new set of clothes he gives you and a community of believers. Two things. 12, 13, 14, a new set of clothes. You could say a wardrobe. You talk about the most beautiful wardrobe in the world. That's Christ. Christ himself. And the second thing is a community of believers. And you notice that in each provision, there's a command that follows. He gives you a wardrobe. He gives you a new set of clothes. Beautiful clothes for ladies and handsome clothes for guys. Beautiful set of clothes. And the second thing is a new community, right? Let's look at the first one, a new set of clothes. A beautiful gift. This is what Christ gives. But it comes with a command. Okay, I give them to you. Now, put them on. Uh, It's there. It's given. (laughs) It's given in Christ. And to put them on means put off the old nature. Put off those sins. How do you do that? By putting on Christ. Trusting in Christ. He's the one who crushed the head of Satan. We trust in Christ. Verse 12. What's he say? As elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. It's a very strong command. In our society, especially in the past, you you dress according to your position. Maybe it's not so much today, but you still see some of that. You dress according to your position. So if you're a student at Hope Academy, can you just wear anything? No, you wear a a uniform, right? And what does that show? It shows your special position as a student or a police officer. Example, he he wears a special uniform and his uniform identifies him in the position of an officer. Or think of your baptism. Your baptism identifies you in your special position in Christ. That's adults and children alike. All the baptized. Likewise, as Christians, Christ calls you to dress appropriately for your new position as God's elect, holy, and beloved. And notice here, this command comes in the form of an appeal, put on. And that's not just a suggestion. This is for Christ's honor that we do this. We want to honor him. Just like children in the family. How do you like it if they kind of go about doing their own thing and ruin the reputation of your family name? No, we don't want our children ruining our reputation as a family name. It's the same thing with Christ. He brings us into his family and he says, I want you to honor me. I want you to reflect me. I want you to put me high on a pedestal. I want you to reflect me. I want you to look like me. You have a new name. I want you to wear my clothes that I have given to you. What are Jesus' clothes look like? They don't, they're not clothes with crosses on them. That's not the kind of clothes we're talking about. But it's just very simple. Five pieces of clothes. Meekness, sorry, tender mercies, kindness, number two, humility, Meekness, 
long-suffering. I know there's so many more garments, but he especially, he especially mentions five here, right? These, these things are impossible to have unless Christ gives them to you, changes our hearts by his spirit, and that's what Christ puts on us. He says, I want you to wear them. I want you to wear me. You know who I am? I am long-suffering. I am meek. I have tender mercy. I have humility. I have long-suffering. Each of these five pieces of clothing describes Christ. It's like putting on Christ. Let's just look at them briefly. Tender mercy. Is Christ sensitive to the needs of his people? Right? Certainly he is. Right? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is, has tender compassion. He has sensitivity for all the needs of his people. Likewise, Christ says, I want you to be the same for one another. That means we have to keep our eyes open. We can't just think about ourselves, but it's the kind of thing that kind of looks out. It's an outward thing. Jesus would say, don't be like the Levite and the priest. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, remember, he saw a man in need, and he pretended that there was no need. He just kept on walking. No, no, no. That's not the clothes. The clothes of tender mercies. Kindness. Well, that's very close to heartfelt compassion. When you have heartfelt compassion, kindness comes with it. Put on humility. What's humility? Well, think about kindness. Kindness is a Christ-like attitude towards others. But what's humility? It's a Christ-like attitude toward myself. Okay? What is that attitude? You're ready to let go of your own rights. This is a me, me, me generation. I want my rights and I want them now because I am king. No. What did Christ do? He left his glory from on high. And when he let go, he left his glory. Why? Because of his love for us. It led him to his incarnation. It led him to the cross. That was his love for us. He let go of his rights so that he could restore our rights as children of the Heavenly Father. That's a very important clothing. Humility. Last two are together, you could say, put on meekness and long-suffering. What's meekness? Meekness is not weakness. We have to understand that. But meekness is, is you could say, the action of humility. Humility is your action to yourself, right? It's, it's from within. But when you are humble from within, then meekness shows outwardly towards others. It's the opposite of being rude or arrogant. That's what meekness is. You take the hit. So what? You take the hit. And long-suffering or patience, what is that? Long-suffering is, you could say, the action of kindness towards others. What does that do? It doesn't get resentful. It doesn't get angry. You know, one of the Spirit's many roles is also to form the likeness of Christ within us. That's the Holy Spirit's work. It's form. Put on those clothes. You know what? That's, what? that's what it means to be in the image of Christ. Putting on the clothes of Christ. Wearing Christ. Wearing this new set of clothes, Christ-likeness. It's going to show in real practical ways. You know how it's going to show? It's going to show in verses 13, 14, or verse 13. 
uh, two practical ways it brings out here in verse 13. If we wear these clothes of Christ, first of all, what will happen? Bearing with one another. You ever have people in the congregation that annoy you? Yeah, we all have that. At times, certain members in the body will be difficult or annoying to us. And to be forbearing means don't react. Restrain yourself. Be the one that bears with that brother or with that sister. The other thing here is forgiving one another. That's what we see in verse 13. If forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. You know, it's interesting that at times a member will complain against another member and he'll come to the pastor. So-and-so did this and this and this and this. And the pastor will say, well, let's go talk to that person. Let's go together and let's try to address the issue or address that sin. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want him to know that or her to know that I told you. But you know what happens? You never get out of that cycle then. There's never any correction of sin. And there's never any real proper forgiveness. So important that when you're offended or when you see a sin, that you talk to that person directly. Take the pastor or take an elder with you. That's good. But... It's so important to bring it out to the open because that's what Christ is talking about. He's saying, forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Well, when you address it, that's when forgiveness can be really applied. Notice what manner we should do that. Even as Christ forgave you, says verse 13, so you must also. Anyway, then in verse 14, he says, oh, one more garment, one more piece of clothes to put on. We mentioned five. And what's the last one? It's the one that covers them all. It's kind of like the overcoat. It's kind of like the, you could say the, uh, yeah, it covers everything. And what is that? Garment is love. It's love. But above all these things, you can say over all these things, Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Love is like the coat that covers them all. And what does it do? It holds the rest of the garments in place. That's what it does. If you don't have love, you're not going to have tender mercies. You're not going to have kindness. You're not going to have, um, what are the other three again? The other three as well, right? Um, you're not going to have long-suffering. You're not going to have patience, right? What is so instrumental in all of these is love. And what's love? Love, by definition, is self-sacrificial. It's giving yourself away. That's Christ's definition of love. That's what agape, this is the word agape love. It's not just any kind of love. It's a love that is only born by Christians, by believers in Christ. It's a gift of love that lives out in the lives of Christians. That's your coat. The bond here, notice that, the bond of perfection. The bond here may refer to the garment of love, perfectly holding the other garments together. Put on. 
That's how you put off or put to death those things and put off, put off those sins in verses 5 through 11. Put on Christ. I like Romans 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There it says it there. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Okay? So a new set of clothes. And now Christ says, now, I'm going to put you in a relationship with other people that wear the same set of clothes. Okay? And he says, when you go to church or when you gather together, don't put those clothes off. You keep those clothes on. You keep on wearing those clothes. You see that in verses 15 and 16, a new community. He gives the gift of a new community. Christ provides a new set of clothes for his elect. But he also, you know, a wardrobe at his finest, but he also provides a new community. And you notice here that in verses 15 and 16, the shift goes from a new life of believers to the body of believers, to the community of believers, the body of Christ. He provides a body for his people to grow and flourish in their new clothes. By the way, we need the body to help us make those new clothes sparkle even more. That, that, that meekness may go deeper, that long-suffering may grow richer, right? We need the body, we need one another for that. I need to say something here. There are Christians who say they don't need to belong to the church. They don't need to belong to the body of Christ. And what is that? That's proud, that's arrogant, and that's disobedient. To reject the provision of Christ, which is his gift, and to say, I don't need them, is extremely selfish and the epitome of disobedience to Christ, who did all this for his people. And this must be said in defense of Christ himself. Christ himself would say this. You don't need me? Then I don't need you either. Depart from me. So important to be part of the body of believers. You cannot be a Christian, normally speaking, outside of the body of Christ. I know there's exceptions. The thief on the cross, and there are certain circumstances you're in prison. But normal circumstances, when Christ brings you to faith in him, he always adds you to the body of Christ. It's a gift. A set of clothes and the new community belong together. It's a family. I mean, you wear beautiful clothes, what? I mean, it's attractive to the family, right? It's, it's part of the family outwear, or the family wear. Well, knowing his gracious provision of new set of clothes, he places us in his new family. And two appeals follow in 15 and 16. The first one is the rule of Christ's peace. Let the peace, says verse 15, of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. That peace is so special. The world does not know it. But it's that peace which is in our hearts. That peace was won through the blood of Christ on the cross. And that's why Paul says, you're no longer God's enemies. You're no longer God's enemies, but reconciled to him. It's the peace of Christ, knowing that your sins are forgiven. That's the greatest peace you could have, to know that 
Your sins are forgiven through Christ. There's no greater peace than that. But there's more here. This peace of Christ now is to rule, right? Is to be the king in the body of believers. You know what an arbiter is, right? An arbitrator or an um umpire. He's the one who, who arbitrates. Well, this peace has that kind of role. He's the arbitrator. This peace of Christ is the arbitrator in the body of Christ. Um, when there's a disagreement or fighting, the answer is never to divide the body. Never, ever. The answer is never to compromise the word of God. Never, ever. The answer always is to let the peace of Christ be the arbitrator. Right? To reconcile all things, his people, according to the word of God. That includes for forgiveness. You know, you realize that the, the, the rule of the peace of Christ presupposes all those set of clothes in verses 12, 13, and 14. You need to have those in order for the rule of Christ, peace over the body. Yes. The rule of peace has a crucial role in keeping a congregation together. Our relationships with one another is to be controlled by this peace in the way of verses 12, 13, 14. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. There's more. It's this peace to which you were called through the gospel. And that same gospel then draws us as believers into one body, to one another and one body. And you think about our setting, our congregation, though small, what has the gospel done among us? It's drawn us together from varied backgrounds, from various nations, and there's those challenges, there's those cultural differences, but you know what unites us? The culture, one culture, the culture of Christ. It's the culture of Christ. And so let us continue to wear Christ as a congregation. Look at verse 11. Apostle Paul talks about all those various peoples that were part of the congregation. The Scythians, they were the most rude, uncivilized people. You see the word Scythians there, right? There's the barbarians. That's bad enough. But there were the Scythians. They were one level lower than that. But Christ says, but, but Paul says, but Christ is all and in all. He's what matters. And that's what's so true here. Let the peace of Christ rule over you. Finally, then, how are we to let the peace of God rule so that we may enjoy peace and thankfulness? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You know, for all these things, for these clothes to become shiner or more, more bright and, and shiny for, uh, for the peace of Christ to rule, what needs to happen? We need to continue to let the word dwell on us richly. Let it grow. Let it become rich. What is that word? The message of Jesus Christ from the Bible. That word is to be like a, it's got, it's, it's got to be at home among us. In the body of believers. That word ought to shape our minds, our hearts, 
more and more like Jesus, to direct our conversations, our thinking, our talking, it's by this means that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. So how do we let the word live lavishly among us? What does verse 16 say? By admonishing, by teaching and admonishing each other. Notice here, this is not an appeal to pastors, but this is an appeal to believers, not just to pastors and elders. Mutually teaching, mutually admonishing one another. Maybe in a conversation, maybe in fellowship hour, or maybe during a visit. You may admonish a fellow member who is failing to put to death what is earthly, or you may encourage another to put on Christ-like character or behavior. But note here, note here in all of this, amidst all the clothing Christ has given you, he clothes you in the office of believer. That's a special office that he's given to each and every member of the body of Christ. He clothes you with a special office called believer. Teaching, admonishing one another. And when that happens, then we also flourish in the context of, I mean, that can only happen when we flourish in the context of mutual forgiveness and the trust of verses 12 through 15. One more thing. If the word of Christ dwells among us richly, we mutually teach and admonish one another, but we also sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace to your hearts to the Lord, says verse 16. It's not easy to distinguish between these three, right? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But these show the rich variety that there is in Christian singing. We have songs as old as from five, six hundred years after Christ. We have many songs in our Salt Hymnal, many varied types of songs and hymns. But the main point here is that we sing them with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Next to the Bible, it is said that a good Psalter hymnal is the richest source of edification. That's why what we sing in the church is so important. The songs that we sing, right? Because next to the Bible is one of the most important resources that we can have in strengthening our faith. We use scripture songs. What? We did that this morning to confess our sins or to show our thanks or to express our joy to the Lord. Sometimes we sing directly to the Lord. And sometimes in our singing, we teach and admonish one another through, through singing. There's that song, right? Cast down, O God, the idols that hold us in their power. We're singing that to the Lord, but we're also reminding one another, don't let the idols take hold of your hearts. That's, that's our singing. Or the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, we're not singing directly to Jesus, are we? But we're telling one another, right? Jesus loves me. This I know. How do I know? For the Bible tells me so. You know, treasure your position in Christ. Chosen of God, elect, set apart, and beloved. And treasure your provision of Christ. You have a new set of clothes. That's the best clothes you could ever wear. The, the most attractive that the world could ever see. And you have a new community put on. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. 
Let's remember that election, God having chosen us, is not only unto salvation, but he also chooses us, he also chooses how we are to live in service to him. And he brings that out so carefully in these words. It's for his glory that we do this, and God delights in this. That's the biggest reason. He is happy. He smiles upon this. Amen.